Reaching Tax Flow podcast, where the goal is to empower and educate you to legally and ethically minimize taxes paid over your lifetime. Good day, everybody, and welcome back to the Teaching Tax Flow podcast. We are on to episode 38 today. We're going to jump into some IRS war stories. So we couldn't think of a better person to bring back for another episode of this show um, than our friend, which you will hear him shortly, or look in the show notes. Name might look familiar to you. But basically, I'm going to moderate this great conversation to the best of my abilities between this gentleman and Chris Picciaro, obviously my partner in crime here in this podcast. Um, the gentleman that's joining us really is, I would say he is the best person maybe in our Rolodex, quote unquote, uh, to dive into with anything IRS. He's in the trenches with these guys all the time, so guys and gals. Um, but before we do that, let's take a moment and thank those that allow us to be here, besides you, the listener, of course. We thank you for joining us as always. Let's thank our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Legacy Lock. If you are new to estate planning or simply need to review your current plan, Legacy Lock makes it as easy as pie. Legacy Lock is a unique platform that enables you to easily complete your attorney-drafted documents conveniently from the comfort of your home or office. Your first step to this peace of mind is simply visiting teachingtaxflow.com slash legacy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Teaching Tax Flow, the podcast. You may, if you read the show notes, read the title, see the face on the picture, you may recognize this guy from a great episode we did a little bit earlier on about the IRS. Was it Love Letters from Darth Vader, Chris? Yeah. Is that the title of that one? Yeah. So we got Andrew Poulos back with us today. How's it going, Andrew? Good, guys. How are you doing? Good to be back. We are doing fantastic. And this one I love because I can hear from both of you and I can harass both of you at the same time. So this is a great, great show we're going to talk about today. Really focusing it on, I guess I can call them, you know, IRS war stories or sort of war stories of dealing with the IRS. So we'll dive into it specifically and and I'll actually probably ask both of you for some examples of this, but from a taxpayer perspective, right? So you kind of get into the ring potentially with the IRS and we'll say getting into the ring with them, but you really don't know what you're getting into, right? So it's it's intimidating as heck, you know, from a taxpayer perspective. You guys deal with this all the time. So I can now wait to hear some of your stories and really what led into it. And then also a little bit about what you did to get the best possible outcome going into that ring. So let's jump into one. Andrew, let's actually start with you a little bit. What, at the top of your mind, what's probably the maybe the craziest, but not the longest one, because we are limited on time here. So we don't have three hours to talk about this one, because I'm sure there's a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of good, funny, hilarious, and sad, <laughs> I should say, effects of this. But what's a good story about one of your dealings? with the IRS. Give us a little, maybe a little backstory on it. And then also, you know, what you did throughout the process and, and how it came out. Oh man, you know, that's a great question. I've had so many dealings with the IRS, right? From audits to collections over the years. And you stick in this profession long enough, you're going to get a little bit of everything. But I've had some crazy ones because of the taxpayer and what they had done or didn't do. And then I've got some other ones, man, where you know, just IRS personnel don't do their job and you got to call them out and it gets ugly. So, um, there's, you know, there's a little bit of everything, but yeah, it's, uh, I've had, uh, you know, I've had a situation where the revenue officer got out of control and I called him out on his BS pretty much. And, you know, unbeknownst to me, um, they got escalated. I got, had a special agent company in a visit to interview me about the situation from TICTA, you know, I hadn't learned anything. So I was cool. Was, you know, but it's that you're talking about intimidating. You open up your room office door and there's a special agent pretty much in jeans and a t-shirt being like, Hey, are you so-and-so? And he pulls out his badge and you're, uh, he's like, I'm a special agent. I'm like, Oh, 
not just an agent. I'm a special agent. Nothing sounds. You got to say it in like a deep voice, like Special Agent Smith from the Iron. It's, uh, it's uh, unnerving, you know, to say the least. But you know, once he told me what he was there for, I'm like, have a seat, buddy. I was like, yeah, because I just knew I hadn't done anything wrong. But yeah, you, know, you try to do your job, man, to help your clients and help taxpayers. And most of the time, everything goes fine, right? Dealing with IRS, every once in a while, you're gonna get some, you know, you're gonna get some guy or some woman or whoever, some we'll just say some person. And then it's just, you know, unresponsive. It gets ugly situation. It was just being my only one to that extreme in my, you know, 28 years or whatever. But, dude, it was just, you know, situation. You got to figure out how to navigate this stuff. I mean, it's just not easy. It's, there's no playbook. There's no script book, as Chris will tell you, on what we deal with. You know, everything is unique in a sense. Yeah. And TIGDA is, think about it, it's almost like the military police of the IRS. It's the Treasury yeah. Inspector General for Tax Administration. Yep. Um, yeah, from a taxpayer perspective, I... I think it just squinted and, and cried a little bit inside. That sounds intimidating. Like, uh, it's it a little untrue. It was intimidating. Yeah, I do. Listen, the one thing you learn in our profession as a tax professional, you never want a special agent knocking on your door. Yeah. <laughs> and first and only time I've gotten one, I'm like, oh, make sure heart beats give a beep. You know, most of the time they do with beep. You know, uh, this special agent could come paying you a visit because in case you're handling and typically that would mean there's potential criminal elements and, you know, you probably don't want to be involved in that stuff. In this case, you know, it's just pretty much me complaining about, you know, the IRS personnel that wasn't doing their job that was making my life miserable. And in making my life miserable, essentially, my taxpayer was like, hey, man, what's going on? You've had this case for freaking 10 months on your desk and, you know, yada, yada. And, you know, it was just making me look bad as a professional. And I couldn't get a resolution and, uh, you know, good, bad, or indifferent for my client because I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't make the case progress because, you know, the per IRS personnel was being non-responsive. And I thought, you know, it got to a point there where, you know, it's just pissed me off. And I'm like, all right, I just, you know, this is, we got to do something here. And I complained to, to, to the manager and wrote a letter, you know, just a nasty letter, a polite nasty letter. And bumping out to me, she did her job or he did her job, whatever the manager was, and escalated it. And like a year later, I get paid uh, a visit from TIGDA, you know, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that uh, no, in taxpayers, you know, you should understand uh, people in the teaching tax law community that they as ta tax professionals, we want these issues resolved also. We don't, it doesn't do us any good for a case to sit stale. Uh, unfortunately, we're, we're dealing with the federal government and, and it can only go so fast as uh, as they want it to go. So, Andrew, have you had any situations where maybe the taxpayer, you, you took over representation for a taxpayer and, and an initial interview was already conducted and information was disclosed or that maybe they were a little uh, too free with their answers? Yeah, Chris, I, I had I, I've had one of those where um, essentially uh, a client was under audit, came to me, referred to the, uh, the audit was really hadn't been concluded, uh, but they couldn't come to an agreement. Uh, the CPA was pretty much kind of going out into corporate. And so, you know, client needed new representation to handle the process from there. It was an unagreed upon um uh, audit effectively and so everything had been disclosed because you know i started interviewing the client and it's like oh yeah i told the agent this but the audit had been closed the, the client came to me for uh for to file an appeals case because they just it was unagreed upon so they had their appeals rights um essentially um intact and, and wanted to file an appeals to try to get a better resolution uh but yeah seldom you know that was my only time where i kind of sort of took on a case that uh, information had been disclosed, you know, uh, 
shared or could not share in a sense. And I had, I was limited to what I had to work with at that point because, you know, the government had their file built. Um, not that there was any, anything bad. It was just, you know, man, just, you know, just little petty stuff as far as expenses, self-employed people, you know how it is. I mean, it's just some of them, just small business owners not going to have an immaculate record most of the time. Very few do, let's just say that. And even for both of you gentlemen, so really the, would I be wrong in assuming that the hardest part of your job is information collection? Yeah, especially if the information doesn't exist, right? <laughs> uh, you know, so that that's challenging. Um, I, we, you know, I think it's important to make sure that uh, you're you're working with a tax professional that's going to represent you properly. I had, a, I, I guess, my first story would be I'm a big big advocate of the home office deduction. Mm-hmm. And this was back well, before, golly, go, probably 10 years ago when we lived in the Detroit area, had a client that owned a trucking company, um, legit home office, beautiful home, uh, but in, in the IRS uh, decided to audit them. Um, and the home office was one of their, their areas that they were looking at. Now, mind you, this in, in bonus depreciation, those are the two big, because they purchased, I think, 14 trucks in one year Ooh. and a lot of bonus depreciation, 179. So yeah, and, and it worked out well for them. So anyway, the audit, the auditor's stuck on this home office and they're like, well, we want to go out to the home. We're like, okay. Um, you know, which is very rare, I assume. Well, let me tell, let me speak to that, that, not the, you know, that Chris can't explain this or, you know, I don't want to dive into a story just yet, but essentially I always tell clients, like the minute you take a home office deduction in an exam, in an audit, the IRS has legitimate reason and, and can come and visit your home and to see that home office, you know? Um, and so I always make clients aware because in that kind of rare situation, like Chris is talking about now, you know, it's just like if the client is not aware prior to, you know, this happening, they're like, well, you know, why the heck does the government have, want to come to my house? Well, but you're claiming a deduction, right? So the home office, I look, I'm, I'm all about the home office as well, like Chris, right? So we're but I just want to make sure my clients are aware that whenever I ever have an exam and be prepared, the government's going to want to come and see that home office. And, and take pictures, right? Because you, by the time you get examined, you might not live in that home anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So, you got, so we took pictures. We submitted them. That wasn't enough. We had a rookie auditor. Uh, and this guy, I'm like, okay, well, I'll meet you out there, right? So I go out there. It was it was a more of a middle principle at this point. You know, home office isn't a big, you know, big deal. But we took we took the actual because... They had a beautiful home and a high, you know, high mortgage, higher mortgage than they should have. We don't, you know, whatever. Um, told the clients politely to evacuate the house. Um, met the auditor there, went into the house, showed him the home office. He looked around for about 30 seconds and exited. And that was it. They, they allowed the home office deduction. Uh, we won. It, it's just one of those things that here's the funny thing on this case. This case, we had about $350,000 of my of uh, depreciation deduction. Well, when I for the vehicles purchased. So I sent over the vehicles, uh the the purchase agreements for those vehicles I bought, and the auditor disallowed all the depreciation because they were the the document said there was a the vehicles were leased, not purchased. But it was a dollar buyout lease, which essentially is a capital lease, and we know we can depreciate, not an operational lease. The auditor didn't know how to the difference when a lease should be really a capital capitalized. So John, so even though they technically leased the vehicles, it helped with their financing. There's a dollar buyout at the end of the vehicle. So essentially you bought the vehicle and you set it up for depreciation. 
Uh, and we won. But but it, the thing is, like Andrew said, you've got to first assess. Everyone thinks like, oh yeah, get a rookie auditor so you can you can take him to school. You actually want someone that's experienced and and knows the, the ins and outs and how the system works. Because a lot of these rookie auditors, they're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to, uh, you know, put some skins on the board and and they they don't know. Well, that at least kind of like in my experience with the rookie auditors, for the most part, not all of them, but most most of them. They're going black and white by the book, right? If they're green, you know, to the government, um, you know, maybe they have a little bit of experience in, you know, from public accounting, maybe they don't. But essentially, you know, like I had one and she was green and I already knew she was green. Um, and she was a rookie and she was just straight black and white by the book, man. Like freaking, you know, it's just like no receipt, no deduction. I'm like, it's like, whoa, you know, we're dealing with a multi-year exam here. You know, you want receipts for every single thing, like it was a contract, right? You're talking about invoices for materials and this and that. Some from, you know, big vendors and, you know, the companies that you order from all the time where you have an account on, others from like Lowe's and Home Depot and stuff like that. And then you're talking about multi-vehicles uh, on, on the road every day. And my, come on, like, you know, the reality is like, it was just crazy to think that, first of all, the amount of time that she and I would put into the case to go through and substantiate, you know, because all it was was a substantiation case. To go through and substantiate every single thing was just like, you know, it was just ridiculous. I mean, they, we, we would have been working on the case forever. And then, so, and so I put some stuff together. We reconstructed. It was manual records. We literally spent in my office weeks reconstructing, you know, a QuickBooks file. We actually had at that point going into exam formal books and records, try to tie into most of what the taxpayer had to prepare in return because it was that came over and got referred right it was a big project and um and so i gave her quickbooks you know reports and sub-reports and she's like yeah she goes do you have um receipts for all this stuff i said you know i said the taxpayer probably has for a majority of most of the main expenses and probably not everything and she's like well i need you to go through and she goes and uh state copies of all the receipts uh she goes to all these sub-reports tied to every single number i'm like that's not my job i was like that's your job my job is to provide the documentation your job is to, you know, analyze it and do whatever you want with it afterwards, right? So, um, you know, it's like, you know, always know, man, that, you know, if you are representing a taxpayer, our job is to provide the information. You know, the government's job, you know, if they want to take a year and sit there and tie it all in or whatever, that's, you know, that's that's fine and dandy. But my job wasn't to do her job. So I told her, and I was like, it's just not going to end well. Um, and, uh, and so we met a couple times, and then finally I was like, listen, you know, we're not going to get anywhere here with the, you know, be respectful and agree to disagree. I was like, just close this out as I'm agreed upon and we'll take our chances at our bills. And she's like, hey, okay. I'm like, yeah, hey, okay too, because I, we had a hell of a lot, you know, better chance at, at appeals and we did, you know, it's just the appeals officer was much easier to work with, especially with us organized as, as we were on our end. Um, but dude, you get you get all kinds of stuff out there. Uh, I, at the end of the day, I much prefer an experienced agent. Even if I feel that experienced agent knows much more than me as far as the law, you know, they're, you know, they're going to be easier to work with. They'll cut you a break here and there much more than someone who's looking in my opinion. Andrew, I, I, I probably shouldn't put you on the spot with some of these questions, but have you had any instances where you had um, married taxpayers where one of the spouses is kind of getting audited and maybe one of the spouses is in activities that even their spouse doesn't know about and they get, they get an audit. Now I'm not, I'm not saying in a nefarious way, but let's say they sold a bunch of stocks or they, they had a rental property that no one knew about, um, and and you, then you're playing marriage counselor. Ooh, this is getting now, awesome. 
I had everything always good. I try, I try to steer the ship in the right way. Now I've had, you know, I've had plenty where, uh, where clients are going through divorces and it was very sticky, of course, right? You got to be very careful uh, on that front. You know, when clients are going through divorce, especially if they choose to file marriage separate, you know, you got conflict of interest and things like that. But no, I haven't had any get to the point where they got an exam. You know, I man, it's just like there's certain things I try to kind of steer away from it as best as possible if I can. It's just, you know, you can just see the can of worms on, on some of the stuff that we deal with. It's just crazy. I've got, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was, I was going to say, too, back to the this, this story, and, and really as far as for avoidance, maybe, from some of these horror stories. So what are, well, we'll use the example of receipts, right? So obviously now in, in more of a world of technology, we don't get receipts for a lot of stuff. So does the IRS kind of take that into account when asking for those things, or, or really what you had mentioned, too, it's kind of at the discretion, at the judgment of the of the revenue officer, is what they expect <laughs> Think, yeah, I think it's really a lot of the stuff to go with. The law says black and white, you got to have receipts, right? At the end of the day, a lot of it's going to depend on the revenue agent and their discretion. They have, they all have discretion, even if they tell you that they don't, right? It's just, so, um, you know, sometimes it's just kind of, like I say, using some common sense and logic. Uh, we do deal with digital. So these days, and, you know, this is the new world. So, you know, instead of keeping paper receipts, uh, even if it's paper receipts, I tell clients all the time, listen, taxpayers, it's just like, you know, maybe spend once a week or once a month and scan everything in, um, save it on your computer, back it up to the cloud, and that way you have a digital copy of it. There's nothing wrong with that. The government doesn't, the law doesn't tell us you have to have a paper receipt. The government, the law just says we have to have documentation and substantiation for what we deduct uh, on a return. The bad challenge is with, you know, what the clients Chris and I usually deal with uh, for the most part is most of them are small business salt employee type of people where there's just a lot of volume, a lot of activity, and they're challenged for, uh, for a time, right? It's just they're, um, you know, they're trying to run a small business. The last thing on their list is, you know, accounting, taxes, record keeping. Unfortunately, that's the real world we live in. And don't uh, put thermal paper out in the sunlight. Exactly. Safe. <laughs> well, is he, I mean, I don't do so much to advise and, and tell clients, you know, what they should do. You know, do they all listen, man? That's, that's you know, probably our pet peeve in life. Yeah, I think that the, the digital side, we have Reps Tracker as one of our one of our sponsors here with the Teaching Tax Flow Podcast. Keep track of your your real estate professional hours. You've got apps to keep track of your mileage. You can most like you know QuickBooks Online. Uh, you, you can pretty much digital capture all your receipts. Uh, I just have a per, you know for me, I like to get my stuff emailed to me. I have an inbox and in my you know for, for receipts and um, and try to digital capture. So I think that uh, well i have one more situation i had a client very benevolent man uh had a had a and this is one that andrew helped guide me on um had a significant amount <laughs> yeah significant amount and uh, I, there's one that i'll never speak of but this one i'll speak of uh but <laughs> the yeah, had uh, had a significant amount of income um over a million dollars uh man of great faith donated uh, about 10 percent of that income Two churches and nonprofits uh, look just looked like a, you know over a hundred thousand dollars of tithes and charitable donations looked a little funny, so he got targeted for an audit. And they were only auditing that; they weren't auditing other things. Uh, I think they audited. Gosh, I don't even think they audited much other than that. Gave him. I created a work paper. I actually is a weird situation where we had a business. And he double deducted a couple of these expenses because he wrote it off through his business, which came through on a K-1, just as a K-1 item. But he also gave that to us when we did the tax return. 
The bottom line is he overstated his, his deductions by about 10,000. I even calculated that for the auditor. It wasn't that much work and said, look, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, here's the adjustment. It's 10 grand. You know, this, these got double deducted. Here's, here's the, all the expenses. She had the audacity, in my opinion, to just disallow every deduction and tell me, you know what? You, um, you go back and you go prove that all these are 501c3 or church organizations, even though we gave her the receipts, okay? Statements from, and, and she was a new auditor. And I just said, nope, it's unagreed upon. Now, Andrew is back coaching me. Thank you. Uh, I wrote a letter that Andrew had, uh, looked at for me. Thank you. So uh, we'll get you Andrew's contact information uh, uh, um, after. Um, but anyway, I said, no, I disagree. Manager stepped in, a couple calls with the manager, resubmit the documents. They agreed on the $10,000 adjustment. Client was happy. Um, but again, think about the, it was still stressful for the client. The man was a very benevolent man. Yeah, did he give a did he overstate his donations? It was an innocent mistake. Um and and it got resolved. Uh but but if if he didn't have someone representing himself, he could have gotten all that thrown away and it would have been uh, a bad situation. So well that and and you know, in a situation like that, I think Chris that I I sort of remember that that case uh that you were working on and discussed. Um but you're also trying to minimize uh, risk in a sense where, you know, a lot of times what we see is if they find something, you know, and it's sort of meaningful to, to the government that if they can open up a second year, make it a multi-year, then that just gives them ammunition, right? So, that, you know, that thing back then, Chris and I were strategizing, probably sat down, you know, had a beer or whatever and sort of strategizing. And that was kind of the concern. It's like, all right, how do we, how do we protect the taxpayer from this becoming a multi-year issue, a multi-year problem, right? And so... Uh, because we didn't know, and Chris didn't know probably at that time, um, you know, if maybe he had accidentally overstated in a previous year doing his math and computations and keeping the same weight potentially, right? Um, and then there's, all, there's always an element of risk for many other things when, you, when you're when you under exam, right? It starts with one thing, it can go into some tangent and go into a completely different direction, you know, when you're not expecting it as a, as a tax pro. Yeah, I mean, exactly. They, they uh, in this particular case, there were a lot of other gaps that they that could have been addressed uh, that did not get addressed. So, oh, I think Chris, we discussed what what the other potential issues were. We're like, ah, gotta do some damage control here and get this get this closed out. And sort of, you know, strategy was back then. You know, again, we laugh, but it was over. You know, some beer and dinner or whatever. But you know, hey, sometimes that's when you do your best work. You know, when you have a clear mind, then you come up with a strategy, discussing with one of your colleagues, one of your friends. Uh, who also deal, you know, has some experience potentially um, and stuff like this. And you come up with a strategy and our strategy was like, hey, we need to close this out. And I told Chris, man, I said, you know, you, know, you got potential, some other potential issue, right? So do this, this, and this. And if it works, you're going to get it closed out. If it doesn't work, then just force the agent to close it out as unagreed upon because then you're containing the you know, the uh, the appeals case to just these certain issues. They can't go and start digging into anything else. And that was all strategies like all right how do we contain it to just this one issue because we knew he could win that one issue you know and certainly in a skilled appeals officer would take this documentation and he'd give you know pretty much a resolution in favor of the taxpayers so you got to sort of be able to navigate the process um you know and think you know just be level-headed whether it's your own return you're you're representing the such or someone else's fan you know you just got to be a cool level-headed because our clients most of the time get emotional you know when there's a letter that comes in or an audit they get emotional they get stressed they 
start panicking. And, you know, even if it's our own return, we got to be the voice of reason and, and keep everything calm so they can be able to listen to us. And, and we got to be able to moderate the whole situation from start to finish. Absolutely. And, um, Johnny T is going to hit, if Johnny T is going to wrap us up, but I'm going to tell you guys, Andrew's information is going to be in the, in the show notes. He has been on every major national news channel, puts out a lot of great content. He's the go-to guy in Atlanta, Georgia for all the local news when any tax tax law changes. Um, but also you know, speaks on ways to, to prevent the audit in the first place, record keeping, uh, being organized, um, and that sort of stuff. So Mike, I'm glad that none of those war stories were about me. You don't know. That's, I didn't say name. I was looking for your name in there if you want. That's not an issue. If you're looking for Actually, I've got one for you. Always. We, <laughs> yeah, we can there. come up with all kinds of stuff. It is like it's here. funny talking about the record keeping. I'm thinking like, man, when did I actually scan some? Yeah, okay. And the thermal paper one has happened to me more often than not. Where you know, you take it, you put it up on the dash, you know, for a okay. parking receipt, and then it's gone. Nine months later, you're like, I can't even know where's which shot is this from Lois Home Depot or Mickey D's, right? Right, right. And of course, the sun hits it, you know, right at the top where it tells you where it's from. You're like, how am I going to identify store number 72573? And I have no idea where it was from. Try being in our shoes and having to give something like that to a revenue agent, you know, that's, <laughs> that's when you just fold it over and say, ah, oh, you know, it got, it got cut off. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, but Andrew, thank you so much. For joining us back here again to uh, on the podcast it's all it's always great having having you and chris here i mean i'm the only the only thing i could bring to the table you know all all joking aside except for this one is hair you guys bring the brains i bring the hair um, <laughs> but thank you thank you for taking the time carving out um we look forward to doing this again you know i'm, I'm sure we can go into some more specifics on on all kinds of stuff but before we do that too and we'll put in the show notes what's the best way anybody could get a hold of you if they had any specific questions that you'd be the right person they can, they can check out the website. There's uh, uh, an email that you can email over, a phone number, of course, on the website, which is poolosaccounting.com, P-O-U-L-O-S, accounting.com. So it's fairly simple. If anyone has any issues, pretty much any problems, wants to bounce off any ideas, just yeah, feel free to shoot me a call or, or an email. Awesome. Awesome, boys. Well, I appreciate it as always again. And for everybody that's not familiar with the podcast. If you're just listening to this one for your first episode, be sure to go back a little bit, listen to that one that we talked about, you know, good old Darth Vader, AKA the IRS that we did with Andrew as well. So be sure to check that out. But until then, we will see everybody next week. Hey everybody, thank you again for sticking in with us on this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you got some laughs in there. Uh, nothing's more entertaining for me than moderating a conversation between two tax guys and two bald guys. So it's great because I can record this without getting smacked by either one of them. So I hide behind the microphone on this one. Um, but honestly, thank you for joining us. Any questions you may have for Andrew, Chris, anybody from the TTF team, please feel free to reach out. As always, reach out on Facebook, LinkedIn, any of the social platforms that we are active on at hello at teachingtaxflow.com is a good email address. Drop us a like. We'd love to hear from you. The content of this podcast does not constitute an offer of securities. Offerings can only be made through an offering memorandum, and you should carefully examine the risk factors and other information contained in the memorandum. The content provided is for educational purposes only. We encourage you to seek personalized investment advice from your financial professional. For all tax and legal advice, please consult your CPA or attorney. Investment advisory services are offered through Cabin Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Cabin Securities, a registered broker-dealer.